Welcome to Invisible Faces Amazing Stories, a podcast where we interview interesting people who at the moment are completely invisible to mainstream media, but whose amazing life stories will leave you with great insights, useful tools, and powerful life lessons. Hello everybody, this is your host, Carlos Carrera. Welcome to another episode of Invisible Faces Amazing Stories where I will be having an extraordinary guest whose name is Megan Moore. She is a journalist, photographer, speaker, and creative woman from Cincinnati, Ohio. Megan is a former TV news reporter who was nominated to an Emmy Award previous to leaving that career to start her own business. In this episode, Megan gives some great advice to people struggling to make the tough choice of leaving their current careers to pursue something else, as well as some great advice on starting a new business. So, without further ado, Megan. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited for you and I'm excited to talk with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting uh, how we got to meet each other. I was, uh, I'm I a know. tennis coach, of course, and I was part of the PTR Tennis Symposium, which took um, place in February in Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And you were one of the speakers there and we had a, a closed session with you because I'm part of a Uh, the PTR Game Changers, and it was really interesting to meet you. And as soon as I heard your presentation and heard your story, I was like, oh my God, she has to come in my podcast. Here we are a couple <laughs> months later, so it's really exciting. I just want to thank you for, for coming in. I'm really excited to, to be sharing your story because I think it's so, so powerful. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And um, given the fact that I had no tennis background, I was just grateful that you guys were able to take some things away from my story. And I'm definitely happy to share it. It no, is funny absolutely. how we met. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's funny that you say that you have no tennis backgrounds because that was going to be my next question. I think it's interesting how you got to present at a tennis strictly yeah. conference given the fact that you only touched a racket once before and it was on TV at uh, the Cincinnati Open <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, no tennis background. How I kind of got roped into it um, was uh, I had spoken with a gentleman. I used to always have to cover the Western and Southern Open here in Cincinnati. And um, so I would do interviews with people there. And uh, when I left um, to left news to start my business, uh, Jim Amick uh, reached out to me. And um, so I had talked with a group of tennis professionals, I think it was last summer. And then shortly after that, um, Brian Tarkinen reached out and he was actually in that group. And he's like, hey, I think, you know, some, some coaches and tennis professionals would really take away um, from your story, take something away from it uh, at our international symposium in Hilton Head. I was like, oh my goodness, which is funny because, you know, I have a broadcasting background, but I didn't do a lot of speaking engagements. So I remember I kept saying when I was there, I'm like, I'm so nervous. Because um, believe it or not, like talking to a camera and talking to a group of people is definitely different. Completely different, um, yeah, I can imagine. But it was great and it was, uh, it was definitely good exercise for me to do that. And um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, kind of sure. how I got into... Uh, into speaking there more so like my broadcasting background led me um down the path of meeting some people in the tennis world and uh yeah it was the rest great is history. it was really great yeah <laughs> and uh it's funny because we actually got to see your tennis skills because you showed one of the the news <laughs> when you when you were at the cincinnati open covering 
That was a lot of fun. But <laughs> yeah. let's dig a little bit more into it. So as a young Megan, did you know you wanted to go into news reporting or how did you find this career? Or on the other sense, did this career find you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I would say, gosh, it wasn't until probably my senior year of high school when I really started looking at um, majors for college. I knew I wanted to go to college. And uh, for a long time, I thought I, would, I was going to study business. And I did start looking for schools and business schools. But I was horrible at math. Like, math was not a strong point of mine. Um, so when I would look at uh, the different courses that I was going to have to take for a business major, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I, I'm not going to pass those classes. I'm not going to do very well. So that's when I started looking at um, things that I was good at. And I always excelled in English. And um, so I started looking more at communication majors. And, and then more specifically, um, I went to Kent State University. That's where I graduated from. And they had um, a communication school, but they also had a journalism and math communication program. So uh, when I was looking through there, very more specifically, they had a broadcast news major. And I was very interested in that. And I didn't claim that as my major until I think it was like the second um, half of my freshman year there. But what I fell in love with was just like the visual storytelling element of it. Um, I really love photography as a background of mine as well. Um, but I love the visual storytelling part of it. And really, I would say, as far as uh, is this something I always wanted to do as a kid, I think it's something that looking back, I realized like I always loved taking pictures and I always loved storytelling. So um, I think it is something that kind of found me. I just didn't have a name for it. I, I had an idea of kind of what I wanted to do professionally, but um, didn't arrive at that until until I was in college and really fell in love with it then. That's really interesting. But how do you get that, you know, that out of college, the first experience or that, you know, the first job, do you apply or, oh, or yeah. how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So fortunately, uh, I was very lucky. The reason I, I went to Kent State was uh, their program, uh, broadcasting program was great. They had just gotten like multi-million dollar digital studio. Um, so it was like all green screen, all the backgrounds were uh, digital. So it looked like you were in a room, but it was all green screen. Um, and they just, they, they really knew what they were doing and the teachers, um, had all had experience in, in news. Um, so I was really impressed with that. So the good thing with that program is we were very well prepared to go out into the world and do what we were going to do in our first jobs anyways, because we had to put together several stories. I would say at least more than 30 or 40, we call them packages, which is the story that airs on the news. Um, we had to put to get together several of those and put together our own demo reel, which is essentially our resume that we send out uh, when we're looking for jobs. So it's just kind of, um, it's a display of all your work, stories you've worked on, um, kind of how you look on camera, um, and uh, how well you present information. And so we were very well prepared in college, and we even had our own live newscast every night uh, during the week. So for Portage County, we were essentially their news source because the next closest news market was Cleveland. So unless something like crazy was happening in Kent, Ohio, which is a very small town, um, you know, you were getting mostly Cleveland news. So whenever there was, you know, uh, any elections or anything like that going on, we were the source of news for that market and 
So we would have to go out and really report on things that were happening in the community and in government and had to take investigative courses. So I learned how to do investigative journalism and all kinds of stuff. So was very well prepared from Kent State. After I graduated there, I had applied to uh, several places and uh, sent my reel out, heard back from some. And one of the places I heard back from was in Traverse City, Michigan. And that was where a friend of mine had gotten a job first. And he's like, hey, I think, you know, you would do great here. So that was my first step. And then after that, I went to Lexington, Kentucky, which is a little closer to home for us. And then eventually back home to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where we're from. And that was always the goal to get back home. So I was in broadcasting a little over six years. That's really, really interesting. And like you mentioned, you were there for for six years. And um, you probably saw and reported on a lot, a lot of things, you know, from really interesting things and community things and strategies, maybe or crimes, but also some positive things I can imagine. What what has been yeah. one of like the top stories that has stuck to you over the years from all those years at Reporting News? Oh, they all start to blend together. There are definitely, definitely ones that um, stick out to me in terms of just kind of um, really heavy. Because uh, as I explained when I, I spoke at the conference, um, a lot of what led me to where I am today is... Uh, unfortunately, like a lot of the really tough stories that I had to cover. So as a journalist, I would describe my day, really. I was a morning reporter here in Cincinnati and also in Lexington for a while. Um, so a lot of times I would have to get up 2.30 in the morning, uh, be in the work at 3.30 in the morning. And a lot of times we were covering breaking news. So it was anything that happened overnight. It could be a fire, it could be a shooting, it could be a murder, it could be uh, a fatal car accident, it could be... You name it. Um, right. We're out there and we're gathering all the information uh, so that they'll have it for the rest of the day, too. You know, when the day side reporters come in and have to start working, you know, they have, we're essentially there as it happens, when it happens. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times we're there on scene before family even finds out. So um, I'd say years of doing that, um, it really takes away on you because I think, unfortunately, Sometimes people have the opinion that, you know, that's something that we enjoy doing is going and knocking on those doors and, and talking with a family who just lost a loved one. And, and truly, that is, like, not at all the case. Most of us dread that part, um, especially for those of us who, you know, are very emotional people. I consider myself a very emotional person, and I can compartmentalize, like, as I'm giving the information and kind of stay focused on what I'm doing and my job. But afterward um it's a lot of weight like when you get in your car at the end of the day and go home you start to think about like god that was a lot to process you know you're there when sometimes family shows up at the scene and they're um just bawling their eyes out and they're really upset and you know you you ask them if if they would like to say anything or you know of course saying you know i'm sorry for what happened but um it's just a lot of emotions that you're taking on when you're there or even just the details of a case or, or what happened uh, can weigh on you. You know, it's different than watching like, a crime documentary. You know, sometimes, you know, people get into those and it's like fascinating to hear the story like afterward and like the investigation part of it. But For sure. when you're seeing it play out um, in real time, not so fun. It still does. No, it's not. Especially, you know, there would be car accidents where you'd go to, we'd go to, and the person was my age. So I think for me, 
what I really learned um, and having to cover the hard stuff. Like I, I did cover a lot of fun stories as a morning reporter. We got to do a lot of fun stuff, but um, from those hard stories that I had to cover really often, I mean, you see death pretty much every day um, is that life truly is too short. And, and it's funny to think about like the things that you're grateful for when you have a job. Um, it, it sounds weird to say that, but I'm, I'm grateful for the perspective, I guess, that that had given me. Because I know a lot of people just say, like, oh, you know, life's too short. You, you should do what you love or chase a dream. But when you really, really, truly see it in that kind of unique circumstance that, like, no, literally, like, that person got up today and thought they were going into work and, you know, didn't make it there or um, or any of the traumatic circumstances that we had to cover, you know, it really kind of drives that point home that yes life is too short and we don't know when our time's up and um and if there's something that you're putting off wanting to do you know you got to really think about it like if that's something that you want to leave here on this earth um and contribute to this world like you should be chasing after it as if you know tomorrow isn't promised because it's not that's that's really really interesting what you're talking about and i can imagine it can be really hard and even though there's those positives you know it's also really hard to to just focus on the positive when there's you know so much negatives also on that so i can i can imagine but talking about this this job that you had you 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 mentioned that you were working there for six years and um i think you were you know you were pretty good at your job and you also got nominated to an emmy for the listeners you know what is it and and what does it mean or what it meant to you in your career Absolutely. So uh, an Emmy is like, for a journalist, is one of the top uh, awards, you know, one of the biggest honors that you get. There are other ones, too, more so, more so for investigative reporters and those who actually, like, make government change because of, you know, exposing corruption or whatever that may be. But an Emmy, every year, you know, we submit stories um, that we think are our best. So, and you have to pay to submit it, too. So it's oh, wow. not like... You know, you really got to, you really have to think like this one's definitely got a chance. So we did a story on um, an unknown soldier. He was an unknown soldier for decades. Uh, He was uh, MIA. Uh, He was a soldier in the Korean War. And he was um, more of a soldier that wasn't on the front line. Um, And he was from here in Cincinnati. uh, But when they got thrown into battle, he went and um, he died. And uh, there were so many casualties. Unfortunately, they could not name a lot of the soldiers. So um, essentially, they were sent, families were sent a letter saying, you know, your son is MIA, um, uh, assumed to be killed in action. And unfortunately, his family never got to see him come home. Um, But there was a cousin or... um, a, a distant family member who found out about this and she petitioned the government to uh, exhume the remains, which were in Hawaii. And um, that's where he stayed for decades. And anyway, they were able to identify him and eventually were able to bring him home. I believe it was 60 years after he was killed. Um, so they had like a funeral, like you would as if it had just happened. And it was really touching. Um, it was probably definitely one of the, um, the best stories I've ever worked on, just seeing like a family's love for someone who didn't even really know 
her uncle. Um, never got the chance to meet him, uh, but was knew how much he meant to her family and was just very adamant about getting him back home to Cincinnati, and that was able to happen. So we kind of covered the whole process of him flying, the, essentially the casket flying in and coming off a plane and and then um, having his uh, his funeral and memorial. Um, so we were very proud of that story. Uh, there's, you know, a, a couple of other stories that I was very proud of um, throughout my career, but to even be nominated, we didn't end up winning, but being nominated was such a great honor because sure. uh, what an Emmy means is it's all of your peers vote. So everybody who submits, you have people who are in your field, other reporters, other photographers, other professionals in the media, um, in broadcasting that are voting and, and essentially submitting votes. And that's how, uh, you're chosen, which is really awesome. You know, it's not just some luck of the draw kind of thing. So anyway, um, going back to, you know, I won that award. Um, and then it was, it was interesting because when I left, people were, they really like kind of clung to that, that idea that what are you doing? You just won an Emmy or you just were nominated, nominated. for an Emmy. Um, you know, why did you, why are you leaving? And I think for me, um, I had just gotten to a point where I was, I was getting burnt out and we usually work on two or three year contracts. So I would have had signed another three year contract. Uh, working mornings is brutal. Um, I have a, a husband and a son, so you know the schedule is is not ideal for family, and um, and ultimately it just becomes really heavy. And I think I I knew it was time to move on. I had already made the decision, but there was a moment I was actually out of town. I went to Nashville for a few days just to kind of get out and really think about where where my next steps were going to be. And that was before I had even decided for sure that I was going to start a flower truck. Um, but as I was there, my station, Local 12, um, I got a Facebook alert and they were doing a Facebook Live. And it was um, about an active shooter at um, Fountain Square, which is the heart of our city, uh, Cincinnati. And, you know, we cover shootings all the time. So I was like, you know what, I bet you like two people kind of got into dispute and maybe there were like shots fired on something square at each other um and you know this is during the time when there's a lot of active shooter situations going on and it really took me a, a moment to to really think like oh wow no that's happening at home like the things we see happening everywhere else you know massive shootings um that's happening at home and I kind of feel like I don't know. I feel like God was in some ways kind of saving me from being there because I don't know that I would have been able to handle another heavy story like that. I even had a colleague uh, who looked at another station and, and after all that, he said, he's like, yeah, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm getting out of broadcasting. So I think it's one of those things like once it really hits like literally at home, not just close to home, um, it's, it's just a lot to take in. You know, being on a scene like that where people are dying or, or hurt and somebody, um, you know, w had an intent to hurt a lot of people. Um, I don't know. It's a lot to digest. And I did have to cover, uh, you know, one of the funerals when I, I got back home. 
from Nashville, but had I been there that day and had this, because I was a morning reporter, I would have been there when it happened. Um, It would have just been a lot to take in. And I think that's the thing. It's just, there's a lot of stuff that weighs on you and, you know, you don't really get an opportunity to talk to like therapists at work or whatever, kind of decompress from what just happened. So I don't know. I I feel like that really would have broken me if I had to, to be there that day. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing to cover. In the IFAS podcast, we bring amazing stories to life. But we don't want the faces to remain invisible. So we will be featuring some really cool pictures of our guests and their stories in our Instagram at IFAS podcast. So make sure to check those out. But for now, let's get back to the show. Let's dig into it a little bit because, you know, you are a news reporter, you know, a, a job that I can imagine is really, really competitive where a lot of people can dream of being, and you're even nominated to an Emmy, you know, like you said, which is like a pinnacle of, of reporting and in the news in the news yeah. space. And you still decide to leave. And at the time, you didn't know what you were going to do. You just knew it deep in your heart that you just wanted to quit. That was it for you. And you were just going to figure yeah. it out, right? So yeah. for people out there, you know, for some of the listeners who, who are maybe struggling with, with making a decision of this magnitude, what would you advise to them? You know, what was your, your, your process of thinking and, and how were you so sure that even without having a plan B or C or knowing really what you were going to do, you just knew deep down um, that that was the right choice for you? Yeah, I would think, I think my advice, honestly, just going back to where I was and I tried to keep notes just to remind myself of like where I was mentally. Um, yeah, I think... You have to come to a point, especially when it's in terms of your mental health, you have to know if what you're doing is healthy for you. And I think for me, to some degree, it did get to a point where I was just like, the stress of the everyday job, the consumption of just all the emotions and everything that you're feeling um, when you're there is getting to be too much. And I really, I think it came to a point where I knew um, like I love storytelling. I really, truly love it. Working in the landscape of news though can be different because I don't get to choose the stories that I get to do every day. And I got to do less and less of the stories that I wanted to do. So it got to a point where I didn't even feel gratified in the work I was doing for the most part, or it was just becoming too heavy as well, covering a lot of the, you know, the tragedies that we had to cover every day. Um, so I think it got to a point, you've got to really think about, like, does this still bring me joy? Like, do I still, you know, do I get excited to get up and go to work every day? And, and it's not to say that, you know, that it's a permanent decision if you decide to walk away. I think sometimes people, and I know of a friend who just did this, he worked at the same station I did, he was gone for a while, uh, and then he's coming back and he's, he's working there again. Sometimes you just need a mental break. Um, or a break just to figure out like, okay, is this really what I want to do? Um, maybe I need to step away from it and, and see if that's true. Um, but I think my advice would be definitely to think about like mentally, like, do you get excited to go to work every day? Is the environment healthy for you? Um, if it's not, then you need to think about going somewhere else or figuring out what you want to do next. I think if it's, if it's somebody who has a dream, and maybe they've always wanted to do something else, like just start taking small steps. 
And, and that's really what it is. It's, it's not taking this giant leap per se. It's just taking the small steps to get there. And for me, I think that was psyching myself up for going <laughs> in that direction. Um, my husband, he bought me a book called Business Boutique. Uh, that was written by Christy Wright. And um, she's one of the uh, women who works with Dave Ramsey, the Financial Peace uh, University coach. Um, but she teaches women who have passions and dreams. She teaches them how to transform those into full-fledged businesses. So he bought that book for me when we moved back home, actually, because he knew I hadn't given up on the idea of starting a business. Um, I had interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs and was just really always impressed with business owners throughout my career that I'd have to interview for them just taking the leap and going for it. And I think when I finally got in the mindset of like, I think I know what I want to do next. I'm not sure what. For a while, I thought it was going to be photography. Like up until a month before my contract was up, I thought I was going to do photography full time. And then that changed. Um, so for me, it was just kind of getting that mindset of I am going to take this leap. And sometimes it's just starting working on that dream part-time while you still have a job. I would not recommend just dropping it all and just, you know, (laughs) going for it. Honestly, I would, I would say ease into it, make that side hustle um, or whatever it is that you love to do eventually full-time, but you gotta, you gotta start taking steps to get there. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, the advice is just knowing like at the end of your life, what is it that you want people to talk about? You know, what what part of your story would you like people to remember? And I think if it's taking a bold step toward a dream, like that's huge because that's that's something that will inspire other people to do the same. And I think one quote that I really love, um, and I believe it was from Christy Wright, she talked about, you know, we have to move away from this idea that chasing our dreams is a selfish desire. And we have to rethink of it as uh, there is somebody out there waiting for what you have to offer this world. Somebody else out there is waiting for what you have to offer, whatever that is. And I feel like when you change your mindset and you change that perspective and think, oh, okay, it's not just me. It's, it's not just the selfish, selfish desire that's laying on my heart that, like, I just want to do it because it'll make me feel good. But knowing that, like, whatever you have been gifted in life uh, in terms of talents or whatever it may be, you know, somebody out there is waiting to see what you have to offer this world, whether it's a service, a product, um, just, you know, your life experience, whatever it is. But you have to take steps to share it. Um, and I think that's that's more of a motivation when you kind of flip the script and, and realize, like, okay, this isn't selfish. This is actually something that, like, could help other people. And I need to I need to have a sense of urgency in chasing my dreams and not just, you know, leave it at one day. Absolutely. One day I'll do that, it. That's really good advice. And I think it's really, really uh, powerful what you mentioned that, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, move away for sure. Like you had your friend who stopped working and then he went back. But just kind of taking yeah. a break, you know, I think it's really, really important and putting your mind away yeah. from it because while you're staring at it, I don't think that you can, you know, come to your senses and really think about the right decision that you have to make. So I think that's really, really, really good advice. But Absolutely. let's dig, dig a little bit um, deeper into your, your new business. So you quit your news reporting job and you still didn't know what to do you were 
figuring stuff out. I know you did some photography for a little bit and, and you were trying to, to, to find out what is it that you wanted to do. And you came across yeah. this picture on Instagram and, and that was it. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I uh, was scrolling mindlessly, uh, <laughs> probably at work, <laughs> uh, just kind of hating my life. And I was scrolling, scrolling through Instagram. And uh, my friend Sydney, she was a producer for us uh, at my station in Lexington. She posted a picture of her in front of a flower truck in Nashville. And I had never seen one before. So I was like, oh, my God, this is adorable. Like, what is this? And so I clicked on it and started looking through other posts. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this thing is adorable. Like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, okay, you build your own bouquet. Like, that sounds like an amazing job. Um, so essentially, that's kind of where it started. It, um, the truck she was at was like an old Volkswagen uh, truck. And it was really cool. Um, so it was it was little over a month away from my contract being up and I wow. still kept going back and forth I'm like do I want to do photography you know photography is what I know um but the more I thought about it I'm like you know I don't think anybody's doing that here in Cincinnati yet the flower truck so I started looking around and I didn't see anybody doing it here and I was like what an opportunity to bring that little bundle of joy to my hometown so immediately like I start looking up old trucks Uh, old vintage trucks and that's when I came upon the 1965 Ford Econoline and um, and so I started looking on you know auto, auto dealer websites Craigslist all these places and found this one on Craigslist and I had saved it and I saved it with a bunch of other ones too that I was considering and fortunately at the time my uncle um, he restores old cars so that's kind of his whole world <laughs> but he had just retired from work And I reached out to him and I told him like what I was thinking. And um, he said, you know what, if you find one that you really like and it's close by, like I'd be happy to go with you. So literally um, it was my Friday, which was a Monday. <laughs> and um, I looked back at the ad. It had actually disappeared because Craigslist apparently has like a 30 day expiration on their ads. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily I had saved this phone number. I was like, Oh God, no, it's gone. So I like, I called the guy and it was an older gentleman. He's like, I'm like, um, do you still have the truck or did it sell? He's like, Oh, I still have it. I'm like, well, your ad's not up anymore. He's like, Oh, I had someone else put that up for me. He's like, no, it's still available. And I think he was still confused about the fact that we were actually going to drive up. Because right. <laughs> when we got there, he was, he was like, Yeah, I think he said he had somebody in his family with the same name as mine. So he thought they were coming to visit or something. It was, oh, wow. it was funny. It was very confusing. But anyway, um, so this was in Marion, Michigan, which was actually not too far away from my first TV market where I worked. Oh, wow. uh, so it was kind of fun making that drive. It was, I think about like an eight hour drive. And uh, so again, it was like last minute. My uncle and I were like, all right, we'll, we'll head out tomorrow. So we went up and I was like, okay, like if this is, if this is the truck, I think that's when I, I have that video on my website. That was the first time I was like, oh my God, like, I, you know, I'm pretty um, risk averse. I don't like this or I don't really like taking risks, but this was a moment where I was like, oh my God, like I can't waste my uncle's time. I can't waste anybody's time. Like we're going up and we're either buying this truck and like this is the start of a business or we're coming home and you know I don't know I still have a lot to figure out yeah. but we went up 
and it was in good shape. That's really what we had to figure out because in Michigan, we're like, oh no, you know, like the salt could have eaten up the truck. And um, we were kind of concerned about the shape it was going to be in, but it was in pretty good shape. And uh, yeah, we decided to bring it home. And <laughs> that's when I was like, okay, it's this real. is happening. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm but sure. I wouldn't have changed it um, because I think that's, that's what I needed. I feel like you have to have something that's just going to like, force you to to take a step and i think that was it for me you yeah, know it was sure. i'm buying this and now i i can't just have a cool truck like i have to <laughs> to go through with this dream and i really you know a friend of mine helped me develop a business plan in like an hour that would have taken me months um yeah. but i i give all credit to her for that because i'm like i've never made a business plan i don't even like what is this how do you do it but I had, you know, her helping me navigate what that looks like. And um, I think that's the thing. It's, that's really what really sets people back in chasing their dreams is you think you have to have it all figured out right now. Like, it has to be figured out. It has to be perfect. And that's one thing I learned from Christy, right? It's like, no, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, you're going to fail for one. Everybody fails. But that's proof that you're trying. And until you change that mentality of like failure is like the end of me and it's embarrassing. No, like that proves that you're a successful person that's just trying to move forward and make something work. Like you have to see it that way because yeah. you're going to fail often and that's fine. That's part of the process Yeah, that's... because it's better than not making any steps forward and never chasing a dream and never knowing what that feels like. Um, so I think for me, that was a huge part. Again, just somebody who kind of inspired me with like, you know, Failure is a part of the process. If you fail, that's fine. You yeah. tried. At least you can say you tried. Yeah, most people kind of look at failure as a bad thing when it's actually the complete opposite. Failure yeah. always gives you a lesson, and that's the way that you're going to grow and that you're going to become better faster. 100%. You know? Yeah, exactly. So it sounds all like a fairy tale, you know? It sounds amazing. Everybody at this point wants to be an entrepreneur you know everybody wants to start a yeah. business everybody has an idea but when they realize you know that they got to put the work in they're like they, they they take a step back and they don't really go all the way through so in your case how much work right. did it really go into it and and why pursue it so much yeah for me um it has been a ton of work in my first year i definitely worked more hours in a week than I did at my regular job. And I think any business owner will say that. And that's something that you just have to know going into it. That's part of it. Like you're working all the time, um, unless you set boundaries and that's what you really have to be adamant about is knowing, like, I feel like the first year is just like, you know, uh, boots on the ground, like you're working hard, you're trying to get the brand out there, the name out there, you're doing all the things, doing all the events, not saying no to anything. And I feel like that first year is important for that. But I think for me going into my second year, that's when I was like, okay, I need to start saying no to some things because it's hard to do. Right. <laughs> it's something that's not easy for me to do, but it is necessary um, because you don't want to burn out. And I think that's what I needed to know. And I believe I told one of the young ladies in your group um, when I was there at the conference, uh, she was like, what advice do you have for, um, you know, not getting burnt out? And I told her, I was like, you know, you have to love it enough to set boundaries. Um, because that was the thing for me. Like I loved storytelling. I did not really have the ability to set boundaries in my job, but if I did, 
I would have because I still love storytelling. I didn't necessarily want to give that career up for the fact of like what I really enjoyed out of it, but I could not control my schedule. I could not say no to things that I didn't want to do. Um, so for me, I now have the opportunity to do that running my own business. That first year or two, sometimes three, sometimes longer, you're just trying to build up um, and get the word out about what you're doing. And that's going to be a lot of work. And I think if you go into it with that mentality of knowing like, all right, these next few years are going to be tough, but they'll be worth it because eventually someday I'll be able to hire employees and, you know, I'll be able to take on more of a, um, a different role than obviously what you're doing now, which is pretty much everything For sure. that is so important. I think that's that's such a really good point because like I said, especially in our generation, they all want to be entrepreneurs and they all want to start their own businesses, but they don't really, they yeah. think that, oh, I'm going to start something and then they don't have to work and it's their own business and they'll just be making money, you know, when it's actually quite the right. opposite. When you start something, you're actually going to put, like you said, sometimes even double the time because when you're yeah. starting something, you can't afford to really just have expenses all over the place. So you're actually doing most of the work. So I think that's a really right. good, good separate to, to some of our listeners to really know when they're starting something and they got to go in knowing that it's going to be a lot, a lot of work. So touching yeah. a little bit more on your, On, on your experiences with the flower truck. I know you said you started this to spread joy. And I remember your presentation, you gave some really, really good stories about people just kind of walking around and buying flowers, some really powerful things. Can you, do you have maybe one top of your head that you can remember about the story with your flower truck? Yeah, well, I think the great thing, um, most of the time I've developed the following so people do know where to find me. But a lot of times it is just randomly. And people are like, oh, my goodness, what's this? Oh, wow, this is cool. I want to, you know, put some flowers together. Uh, there was a, a day where I was downtown um, in downtown Cincinnati. And there were uh, two separate occasions. Um, these ladies came up and they were, like, wanting to build a bouquet. And, uh, again, two separate occasions, um, a guy came up and was like, hey, those are on me. I got this for you. And it was just the sweetest thing because it was, like, And when I was dreaming this up, that's exactly what I was kind of thinking of. Like, Were they trying to pick up the girl on, on a date? Uh, <laughs> no, no. They, they literally were just being kind. Like one was an older gentleman. There's, these were both young ladies. Um, no, just purely out of like kindness. It was the sweetest thing. And um, it, that's one thing that kind of sticks out in my head. Another thing is, um, you know, on two separate occasions now, I've gotten to get together with some Girl Scouts with some young female entrepreneurs um, and, you know, tell them about what I do. And then they, you know, build bouquets for seniors at a senior living facility. Um, and we got to do that back in February again. And we did another one last year. So um, those opportunities are great because I think it's, again, just kind of spreading that message of the importance of intentionality and just random acts of kindness. Um, And again, so it always goes back to, like, I work with flowers, but it's not just about the flowers. Like, the flowers are a beautiful way to love somebody, but it's really the act there. Like, flowers have been a gift throughout time. They all symbolize different things, um, but it's a beautiful way that people can love other people, um, which I love. I think that's the one thing that I love. Like, no matter what, people are always coming to my truck. Um, for the fact of like an act of love and, and that's something that's really beautiful 
Um, and that's something that I, I really love about what I do. And it's what makes all the hard work and, and figuring out <laughs> like how to run a business. Um, that's what makes it all worth it. For sure. That's fascinating. And I think all of the hard work and, you know, living your prior career, I, I can imagine it, it was probably really, really hard and a really difficult decision. But at the end of the day, I think yeah. you made the right choice and you're actually not only spreading joy, but you are being a very successful businesswoman. I know that you bought your second flower truck, which is huge. So congratulations on that. And just yeah. hopefully this Thank whole you. situation um, calms down a little bit so you can get out there in the in the streets of Cincinnati and keep spreading joy. And I really hope yeah. that, you know, this story can touch a lot of our listeners because it was really, really powerful when I first heard you back in February at the PTR Tennis Symposium. I just want to thank you so much for, for coming into the podcast and, and spreading your story and also spreading joy in this in these difficult times for everybody. And just one final question, where can people find you and find out more about your Daisy Jane's flower truck? Absolutely. I, and I just want to thank you for having me on. I love what you're doing and I think stories are powerful and they, they inspire people and the fact that you're you're doing what you're doing is great. Um, if people are interested in following along, um, it's Daisy Jane Flower Truck, D-A-I-S-Y, as in Daisy the Flower, Jane, J-A-N-E, apostrophe S, so Daisy Jane Flower Truck. Um, you can look me on Instagram, Facebook, and then we have daisyjanesflowertruck.com. So hopefully we'll be out there again soon. I'm sure that it'll inspire and it'll motivate a lot of our listeners out there just to hear the story. But who knows, maybe after this, we'll see some other flower trucks popping out all over the world. That and isn't be, that a beautiful thing? That would be the, <laughs> the end goal. Thanks again to Megan for taking the time to join us here at the IFAS podcast. I really hope you guys enjoy this amazing life story as it is something that you don't hear on everyday life. Please don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IFAS podcast and to reach out to me if you or anyone you know might want to be a part of the show. Thank you and enjoy your day.